Welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jason. How are you doing? (laughs) I hope that you're doing well. I hope that uh, today's a good day for you. And thanks for tuning in and listening. Um, This has been so fun getting to hear stories about people listening to the podcast uh, as they're out and about in their everyday life. Maybe you're on a boat or uh, taking a bus or uh, wherever life finds you as you're listening. I, I pray that you feel God's blessing in your life. I mean, that's what this is really all about. Um, now, before we get into the sermon today, and, uh, and it's such an important topic, too. It's about the humanity and divinity of Jesus which is super confusing and also really, really important. Uh, But before we get into that, I do want to let all the listeners know about uh, a really cool opportunity coming up that I'm very excited about. And as you know, over the last couple of months, we've been uh, talking a lot about how do people find their next steps of faith? How do they jump forward uh, in their faith? And so I'm actually doing a live free webinar on Thursday night, March 9th at 7 o'clock to talk about how you can find your next steps. The idea is in the different areas of your life, your work, your play, your relational, physical, and spiritual life, how you can cultivate your God-inspired dreams and create an actionable plan uh, to help you achieve your goals and track your progress. And again, this webinar is totally free. Um, And if you are interested in signing up for that, uh, simply send me an email, uh, jason at towerhillchurch.org. That's jason at towerhillchurch.org. And you can sign up for the webinar, Finding Your Next Steps. So now, without further ado, let's get into part three of Credo, I Believe. So we're in our sermon series that's looking at each part of the Apostles' Creed. It's called Credo, which means I believe. And it's really designed to help us understand why does the creed matter and why does it matter to us in our everyday life. And uh, as we go on to the creed, we've been talking about it in terms of like we're using this analogy of, of pole vaulting, of course. Makes perfect sense. The idea is that if life is like pole vaulting, what a pole vaulter has to do is to hit something called a strike plate in order to execute the jump. And so uh, if the strike plate of life is faith in Jesus Christ, because we think that's going to help us execute the jump of life into eternal life, then the Apostles' Creed is the technique that we use. It's the placement of our hands. It's the course of our feet in making sure that we hit the plate correctly. That's what the people who wrote the creed cared about, to make sure that we were getting it right according to the faith that we learn that scripture testifies to. And today we are talking about Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Boy, a lot of ink has been spilled over this one in the last couple thousand years. And as we know, the creed was written in response to Uh, all sorts of different things that were going on in the second century. The first was Marcion. We talked about Marcion, that uh, Marcion thought that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And so he he got rid of the whole Old Testament and any gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any gospel that talked about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament, he got rid of those. So he was left with Luke and some of the letters of Paul. 
And, and the other churches are like, no, 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 that's not right. And so the creed addresses the way that the church had practiced faith since the beginning. And then, of course, last week we talked about uh, there were a lot of Gnostic things that they were trying to t- talk against in the creed. Gnosticism, early Christian Gnosticism, which was very complicated and convoluted, had thrown people off of the strike plate, if you will. And so they're trying to course correct. But really what it was all about, and the reason why the creed, Apostles' Creed, so much of it is about Jesus, is because it was just simply trying to address in what way is Jesus human, and in what way is he divine? And why does it matter? I think this is totally relevant for our lives now. Because I hear about this often. Well, Jesus, you know, I don't think he was God, but he was a really, he was a really good person, and he taught about God, and... He died tragically on the cross, and he was, he was a great teacher. He taught us a lot of things, like which sort of holds up for a while, but then the fact that Jesus said he was God makes him not a great teacher if he's not telling the truth, because he's lying, or he's crazy. Either way, it's not good. Uh, and then, or, you know, the people who say that, well, uh, he was God, but he wasn't fully human. That's what uh, a lot of the second century stuff was about. He's not fully human. He was only pretending to be hu- human. Because he was God, see? So God can't suffer. And so why does it matter for our life? We're going to talk about that today. So the first is, how can Jesus have two different natures? How could he be both divine and human at the same time? I want to offer you a way of thinking about this that I think you can absolutely relate to. And that is, you are still you no matter what situation of life that you're in. But you might be called upon to be a different you at different times. Here's what I mean. So I'm, I'm a pastor. And clearly, I mean, you know this. And my, my journey to becoming a pastor was first that I felt a sense of call by God. And you could just ask my wife about this one. I was running and screaming from being a pastor. God's like, no, sorry. You're a pastor, dude. He didn't say it like that, but... You know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, so, so I go to seminary, and then I was ordained. And what does that mean? It means I was set apart to do ministry, to be a pastor. So at that moment that I get ordained, there is a, a responsibility that I have to serve God in the life of the local church. And there's an authority that I have as, as one who has been set aside for that purpose. The thing about a pastor is... You never take off the pastor hat because it's now a part of who you are. But there's a whole side of me that not everyone gets to see. I'm a husband. I'm a father, an occasional baseball coach. Uh, I, I do different things in my life. So let's say I'm going to the local Trader Joe's, which, of course, we know the Holy Spirit's there. So we go... Say I'm going to my local Trader Joe's and uh, I'm doing my work as a husband and a father. Maybe Karen texts me a list of things I need to pick up. And I go there and I pick them up and I go to the register. And she's like, that'll be $15. I'm like, what? It's chapstick. No, $15. So, so I hand her a 20 and she hands me back a 10. And I think to myself, yeah. I'm just being honest. My gut level response would be, yes, they've been ripping me off for years anyway. They charge. 
right? Or you start doing the, the funny math in your head about how it like matters. This is only hypothetical. So give me back a 10. And, and uh, so in that moment, I am, exactly, I am compelled. I'm compelled to do the right thing. Here's why. Because I think to myself, if she finds out that I'm a pastor. <laughs> but I also think, even though I'm not there as a pastor, I, I can't, that's part of my identity. And I can't live with integrity if I am essentially stealing from the marketplace and to come back to you and talk to you about how to live a life according to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not perfect. I know that, I mean, I'm forgiven. So I don't always get it right. But I can never not be a pastor. You see what I'm saying? I think it's similar. I mean, it's different theologically, but the idea is the same. That Jesus can never stop being fully God, no matter what he's doing. Whether he's engaging in his... uh, in the carpentry business that his father Joseph did, or whether he is uh, walking around, living life, uh, he can never not be God. That's just who he is. He can't just set that down. In the same way, he can't set aside his human nature either. Just like I can't set aside the fact that I'm a husband and a father no matter where I go. It, it's my identity. It's part of who I am. They're very different things, but at the same time, they're, they're inseparable. I can't just put one down and not be that. So you see the idea that Jesus is two natures in one person. He is both 100% fully God and 100% fully human in all that he does. We see this right from his birth. I know it's not Christmas time, but let's read a little bit of his birth from the Gospel of Matthew. Beginning with verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There's a lot to say from this passage, but I think at the very least, we see right from the beginning, Jesus had a conceived by the Holy Spirit side and a conceived humanly side. I mean, we have to assume childbirth was the same, even though conception was quite different. And and just like, now listen, parents, actually I should ask kids, any kids in the room? How many of you, people say you're just like your mom or dad, right? Just like your mom or dad. I mean, like, you've seen my, my youngest. It's like mini-me. I, I cannot deny him. He is my child. And I know that my kids, my kids, hey, buddy. <laughs> and I know that my kids uh, are like me in other ways, too. They're like both Karen and I in 
personality things and giftedness, things that we're good at, things that we're not good at. It all kind of, uh, our kids bear the likeness of their parents. And the thing in the beginning to understand is that Jesus, he bears the likeness of his parents. He bears the likeness of God and he bears the likeness of his mother, his human mother. Okay, so let's get into this a little bit more about conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And then we'll talk a little bit about why it's important. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So again, we see that his birth was different. Now, if God were having a child, that child would have no choice than to be God. God's not going to give birth to something less than God. So, in other words, the child would be made up of the same stuff as the father. God conceives, by the Holy Spirit, conceives Jesus. And Jesus is made in the image of God. The biblical word that we get is begets. That's a good word. We don't use that anymore. Yes, we're begetting a son. We're so happy. Begets. God begets God. Right? Now, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? So, okay, conceived by the Holy Spirit. What do we know? What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Because I think the Holy Spirit's really mysterious. And uh, the church used to say Holy Ghost, which makes it weird. Like, is, is he a ghost? I don't know. It doesn't sound exactly right. Holy Spirit. What do we know about him? Well, we know in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of creation. That, that time when God spoke into the world that, that, and creation happened, the Holy Spirit was there. That, that all of life itself was being conceived through the Holy Spirit, if you will. And the Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God in this really great Hebrew word, ruach. And that's a fun word to say because you get the little thing going on. So let's all say that together just because it's fun. Ruach. You got to do the at the end. Yeah, good. <laughs> Kleenex. We, yeah, yeah. Anyway, wind or breath in the Old Testament. And, and this Ruach, this spirit of God who hovered over the waters of creation, we also see at the moment of the burning bush. This is the same spirit of God that we see uh, in the spirit of prophecy with prophets like Ezekiel and all the Old Testament prophets, that the spirit would help them to speak God's will to the people. We also saw... Uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon kings when they would get anointed for his service. Uh, and the Holy Spirit was always connected with the Messiah. Now we go to the New Testament. The New Testament, interestingly, that word pneuma also means wind or breath. The breath of God. Now here's why this is important. When, do you remember how uh, in, in the stories of Genesis, how human beings came to life? God breathed into them. The idea is that this spirit of God is the author of life itself. God breathed. And later we see Jesus say he breathed on them. He breathed in his disciples. We see the same God at work through him. But we see in the New Testament then, uh, the Holy Spirit conceived and dwelled in Jesus during his life. That he revealed Jesus' identity at his baptism. That's really important. And that Jesus promises his Holy Spirit to his followers and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out and dwells in all the believers. The Holy Spirit is present in the recreation of the world through Jesus Christ. Now, just 
sit on that idea for a minute that the Holy Spirit who's breathing life into creation in the beginning and then everything is broken by sin, of course the Holy Spirit will conceive of G- in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who brings a new creation. Everything is made new. And so, of course, the Holy Spirit's involved. The Holy Spirit was involved the first time. The author of life itself. Now, the Holy, it doesn't just stop there. Otherwise, we get this kind of mystery God wind breath thing. But the Holy Spirit's also personal. We see in the New Testament elsewhere where the Holy Spirit bears witness, cries, leads, makes intercessions, can be grieved, teaches, guides, speaks. The Holy Spirit is, is a person just as much as God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. I hear a lot of people say stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit, and it really makes me nervous whenever they do that. People say things like, you know, I was praying and I felt like the Spirit told me. And it, or, or they tell you something for you, like, I was praying for you, and the Spirit is saying me, it told me to tell you, you got to like adjust your life according. Like, I don't know, that makes me really nervous, man. You better be sure that you're hearing from the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just um, giving out all this random inform- information. The Holy Spirit's whole job, the task of the Holy Spirit, no matter what it is, is to reveal the Son, to reveal Jesus Christ. If you look all throughout the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is, the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the identity of Jesus. Think about this. In Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit reveals his identity. In every miracle that ever was, in the resurrection, the whole point is to reveal Jesus for who he is so that we can put our faith in him. All the spiritual gifts are all for the purpose of revealing Jesus. It's like, back to my grocery store analogy, my Trader Joe's, if the Holy Spirit had been with me, you know, standing next to me, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wasn't with me, just go with the illustration. If the Holy Spirit were with me, and then, you know, I said, no, no, you gave me the wrong change back. The Holy Spirit would be like, to the cashier, be like, it's because he's a pastor. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit is revealing the identity, just as the Holy Spirit reveals the identity of Jesus. Why did he raise from the dead? Why did he do all these things? Hey, world, because he's Jesus. He's the son of God. You should put your faith in him. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So why two natures in one person? This is what it comes down to. It comes down to sin. There's this great quote from one of our Christian fathers of the 11th century, St. Anselm. He says, since only God can satisfy the penalty of sin, only God can forgive sins, and only a human ought to, then it is necessary for a God-human to do it. That's why he had to be two natures. God doesn't owe himself the penalty of sin, but only God has the power to forgive it. He needed to be both. Jesus needed to be both. So first, he is God. We see in Hebrews 1.3, that he's a chip off the old block, if you will. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. But he's also born of the Virgin Mary. 
He is fully human. He is not tainted by sin. The virgin birth is both about purity and paternity. He wasn't born in the normal way. He isn't broken by sin. And there's no doubt who the dad is. It is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's also born under the law, which means he, he was obedient to the law. That's something only a human has to be. And he experienced the human condition, joy, pain, suffering, and death. And so Hebrews also says in chapter 2, verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He had to be both. Again, since only God can satisfy the penalty of sin, and only a human ought to, then it is necessary for a God-human to do it. So why does it matter that you get this right? What's at stake for understanding the real nature of Jesus? I actually think it's the entire gospel itself. I think absolutely is, everything is at stake. Because here's the thing, if you don't affirm both, you will miss the strike plate. Because that God won't be big enough to handle the weight of your life. And so I believe that he was conceived by the Spirit. Why? Because if he's not God, he can't forgive me of my sin. And then where am I? Then if Jesus wasn't God, then, we, then it's just a sad story about a guy that lived a long time ago and he, and he was a, taught good things and he died tragically at the hands of the Romans, crucified on a cross. We don't get forgiveness of sin unless he's God. Because only God can pay that price for us. But also, unless we affirm that he's born of the Virgin Mary, that he's human as well, then he couldn't have paid the price of sin for us. He's the one who paid it. He bore it for us. Only a human owed that price to God. He had to do both. Because... Jesus is God. He has the power to save me from sin. And because Jesus is human, he can truly love me in my humanity. See, that's the thing about forgiveness. It comes from a place of love. Let me explain to you what was at stake from God's side. This is a story that I've been asked to retell recently. God was going to do anything to make sure that we knew how to have life instead of death. It's like a farmer with a chicken coop. I forget who it was that asked me to tell this story again, but this is a, it's a fun story. It's like a farmer with a chicken coop. So the chicken coop catches on fire. 
and it's full of chickens. And the fire, and, and the, the farmer is just like, well, I gotta save the chickens. So I open the door. He opens the door of the chicken coop. And the chickens just sit there clucking or doing whatever chickens do. They don't go anywhere. They're just sitting there in the burning, burning chicken coop. So, so then he tries to get the chicken. He tries to like usher them out. He's trying to get the chickens out. And the chickens just go running right back in. They don't want to leave the coop. Then he starts physically grabbing as many as he can. And he's running out and he's just trying to, he throws them out, but they keep finding their way. They're coming back in faster than he can take them out. And he thinks to himself, he says, if only I could just become a chicken. I could communicate with them in a way that they understand. And I'll lead them out of the arms of death into life. I'm not calling you a chicken. But see, what Jesus did was Almighty God became one of us so that he could communicate with us and lead us to life. So I believe everything's at stake in acknowledging that Jesus is human and divine. And so I want to close together with saying the part of the creed that we've learned so far. You can go ahead. I think it's a couple slides ahead. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary.